0: Welcome to the LBCF podcast. Our vision is to learn to live and love like Jesus, where we live, work, and play. To find out more about our community, you can visit us at lbcf.org. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by this teaching from our community. Good morning, LBCF. How are you? Um, it, my name is Alvia, if, if we haven't met, I'd love to meet you, I float around here, I, I'm a, a part of the teaching team, so I'll teach every once in a while, and uh, my wife and I uh, lead the high school ministry uh, here in our community, and uh, it's great to be here with you, and I'm praying, Lord, take us on a journey this morning, draw us in, um, allow us to feel you, and uh, just know uh, of, of the reality of our adoption of your love. All of it, Lord. Amen. Uh, we are on the final, we've been, if you've been with us for the last couple of months, we've been going through a series called What Are We Saying? And we've been each week focusing on a different word of our faith, um, a different value that um, we uphold as, our com- as a community of Christ. And this is the final day of the series, and today we're talking about love. And uh, I'm not sure, I, and actually I might even start by asking you to define love Um, For yourself right now, how do you know what love is? And if you can't turn your attention to the screen? We'll get started with the video Okay, and if you could define love Wow, that's a hard question Um, (laughs) Give me a tough one I mean, <laughs> Ooh. you didn't say it was going to be a hard question. I feel like love is just understanding and accepting every, everyone and their flaws. Um, gosh, that's so hard. I'm like on the spot, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, love is just like uh, not discriminating and just uh, showing peace towards everyone in your life. Okay, that's awesome. Something outside yourself, living with your heart outside yourself. Awesome, that's really good. I had some fun um, asking my friends, um, some peeps that I know, uh, what is love? And they all reacted the same way. They all took a deep breath. And they're like, uh. man, my wife said, I don't know. <laughs> and uh, one of my best friends said, I don't know. Uh, another friend said, uh, I guess it's, it's caring for all things. All people, another friend quoted Wedding Crashers with an amazingly profound quote. True love is a soul's recognition of its counterpoint in another. And, um, you know, uh, my, my father-in-law said it's the requirement. My mother-in-law said uh, it's a lot of work. And regardless of how you define love, it's a massive word, a massive uh, subject, topic. It's something that we all naturally relate to and, and yearn for. Um, however, we define it in so many different ways. I would say that it's important for us as LBCF, as a Christian community, as a community of Christ, for us to, to be sensitive to what love is. And I'm not going to tr- attempt to define love entirely in the next 20 minutes. My hope is that today maybe we'll just journey a little bit in, in sensing love. Um, and new in different ways, and how fitting, you know, Matthew 28, or actually 1 John 4, you know, we, and we find throughout Scripture, Scripture tells us God is love, and how fitting is it that God, love is so, it's hard to pinpoint it and put it in a box, because God is massive, and you can't put God in a box, you know, and I think it's just the best way to describe God is, well, God is love, and yet, you know, Jesus, you know, he tells us in Matthew, the greatest commandment is to love God, and the second is like it to love our neighbors as ourself. And so what is love and how do we know it and how do we get drawn in by love? When I first became a Christian I was 17, a junior in high school, and I went through this sort of like this process and the, the first step was I really just there's a moment where I said, man I really do believe that there's a higher being, like there's something more out there. And and I feel like that's where my faith started. I just spent some time, you know, chatting with a friend, and I'll tell more about that story later on. Um, and then with that came this hope, you know, um, that, that there's something more uh, than just the, the, the things that I was experiencing. And, um, but my journey, and I would call it an adventure, uh, didn't start until I, I got a hold of the fact that God loves me. And I think that's what just changes everything. And that's what relation, thats where relationship starts. Jesus, in you know this this really popular passage in the Bible, 1 Corinthians thirteen, Paul lists a you know a bunch of ways to describe love, and at the very end of it, Paul says, you know, there's there's faith and hope and love, and you know of these things, love is the greatest. And I think one way to differentiate differentiate the three simply is is relationship. Love is something that we experience when we're relating with something or someone, a being. And um, man, I desire it. Reality is, <laughs> I'm still coming to understand that love. I'm still, tr- still realizing, oh yeah, that's right, I, I'm, I'm loved by God. I'm finding out what that means for, for me even today, years later. And, and, and even more so, I forget. I forget all the time that, what that means for me, that God loves me. And what does that mean? What does God love look, God's love look like for me And that's why we have the scripture. I love to teach that, uh, you know, when you, uh, when when we read the scripture and we come across a story that just makes no sense, I always encourage um, others to take a step back and put on, like, you know, the lens of the reality that God loves us and then revisit that story because then maybe it will bring some color and light to that story because God is love. And I believe that the scripture is filled with just, it's a picture book reflecting to us all the ways that God's love presents itself in our life. And so with that, I would love to look at a story. And today, um, I want to I look at um, First or, uh, John chapter 4. It's a popular one. It's uh, the Samaritan woman at the well story. So if you, can, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 4. And um, as you do, I just kind of want to lay some context down. Um, you know, it's called the the in the NIV. This passage is titled "Jesus Talks with the Samaritan Woman," and it's significant that this woman is Samaritan uh, because uh, of the tension that existed between uh, the Jews. Jesus was a Jew, and and the Samaritans. And and long story short, I mean, this people group just there's a, there's just it was like water and oil. They kept from each other, and and while Jews wouldn't associate with Samaritans, well, Samaritans they also adopted that way of being also. And they said, well, you don't want to be with me. I won't be with you. And there's a whole lot of um, history there. And I found, I stumbled on this week. I stumbled on a really interesting article from 23andMe about the Samaritans. And I learned that there, I think there's about 700 Samaritans left. And they've kept their bloodline to Samaritans, you know, um, a very Samaritan bloodline. And, um... They have grown accustomed to keeping away and not intermixing with Jews. Um, however, years ago, uh, what's interesting about the Samaritans and the Jews is that their genetics are very, very similar. They're really just as Jewish and uh, Jewish. And um, you know, just part of their story is that uh, the area, the land that they were living in, was overtaken by another. Group of people that weren't Jews and and so while many Jews left, uh, many stayed and they intermixed and they intermarried and they adopted culture and they became different. And so then hundreds of years later, when Jews returned, they met people who had very similar uh, custom and theology and culture, but that were different. And so it created tension. And um, just a little bit more on that subject, the tension was so thick that. I, I mean I listened to one uh, person teach this week that uh, Jews would not they would consider themselves defiled if they even crossed the path of this cross the shadow of a Samaritan they would cross the street just to avoid a Samaritan and um, not only um, in addition if you can picture the lay of the land of the time and we'll start to read in a second here there's three sort of regions, and there's this area called Galilee in the north, and there's Samaria, you know, where the Samaritans were, and then there's Judea in the south. And Jews would often travel back and forth between Galilee and Judea. Jesus did a number of times. And uh, they grew accustomed to actually going around, and one source uh, told me that it takes 22 hours, it took 22 hours to walk between the two. And even though, I mean, if I'm walking 22 hours I'm looking at my GPS, and I'm figuring out the straightest route there. But it, the, the Jews of the, of the day, they grew accustomed to walking around Samaria just to avoid having to cross paths with the Samaritan. That's how thick the tension between the two groups um, was. So let's go ahead and jump in. And I would say that John gets going real quick with the story. And so verse 3 says, so he left Judea and went back. Jesus leaves Judea, and he heads back to Galilee. In verse 4, now he had to go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria. He had to go into enemy territory. And I think that this is where the story begins. I don't think that there's an intro. I think this is massively important to this story, that Jesus was already on mission at the very get-go with this story. And he goes into Samaria. In verse 5, he came to a town in Samaria called Saqqar. And near the town, it was near the, town, um, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired from his journey, sat down by the well about noon. When a woman, a Samaritan woman, came to draw water, Jesus then, in American speak, says, Excuse me, can I, can I have some water? And, you know, Jesus is there by himself. His disciples had gone into town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman looks at him and says, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And so Jesus here on mission, and I believe that he was on mission from the very gut go, needing to go into Samaria. He goes into Samaria, and he's crossing boundaries in order to interact with this woman. He's crossing all kinds of boundaries. He's crossing political boundaries, historical, cultural boundaries. And then cultural boundaries, even speaking with the women, it was not it was not proper for a man, a Jewish man, to interact with the women that he was not married to. Um, and, and so the fact that he was a woman was also very significant. And the Gospel of John shares this with us. And so Jesus answers and says, If you knew the gift of God, and I think this is where the, this is what it's all about here, the gift of God, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and And he would have given you living water. The woman said, you've got nothing to draw with. And this well, it's deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than the father Jacob who gave us the well and drank drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so if I could describe the story, um, there's two halves of the story. Um, You can view it in two halves. And in the first section of the story, Jesus, he needed to go into Samaria. He does. He crosses these boundaries, interacts with this person that he's on mission to interact with, and this person that he's not supposed to talk to. And he strikes up this conversation about thirst. And I think that's the key here. That Jesus, throughout the scripture, we actually do find, he, time and time again, he brings up hunger and thirst as things, as the very things that, uh, that are a part of the human experience that he comes to quench. And he brings us with this conversation of, of thirst and says, well, I, I provide this water that just doesn't stop flowing, and it, it wells up. And so I think that he does this for a reason. I think he's speaking directly into this woman's First, i think he's identifying the question the why and and so his answer how he he starts to minister to her he says verse 16 go call your husband and i picture him smiling when he said this just cheekily cheeky smile go call your husband and she goes i have no husband jesus said to her You're right. (laughs) You have, you don't have a husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you're with now isn't even your husband. And what you've said is true. And so the women not really understanding what's going on, maybe confused says, well, I can see that you're a prophet and she goes right back to the tension. There was a debate between, uh, how, about worship between Samaritans and Jews. And so she goes, Well, I can see your prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus then continues to minister and says, Believe me, there's a time when you will worship the Father, neither in, on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Samar- you Samaritans worship what you don't know, we worship what we do. For salvation is from the Jews, yet the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And I think he's alluding to what's going to happen in her. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. This is what he cares about. And God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And so she, she, she kind of brings up the question or brings up this Messiah, maybe not really getting it entirely. And she goes, well, the Messiah, I hear about this Messiah that's coming. I'll talk with him. He'll explain everything to me. And Jesus proclaims and says, you know, the person that you're talking about, this Messiah, that's me. And what ends up happening um, here is that she ends up, she, the disciples end up coming back. They remember, they're getting food, and they come back, and they're startled. They're like, why is Jesus talking to this woman What's going on? And, and probably this woman feeling awkward looks at him and takes off. And she leaves her water jugs and she heads back to town. And she connects with her townspeople, her friends, her people, that her community. And she says, you guys, I, I just had this interaction with this person that told me everything about my life, everything that I've gone through, everything that I've done. Do you guys think this could be the Messiah? And something about her testimony, something about her running back and telling these people about this interaction with this guy leads these people of her town to want to go back and find Jesus and hang out with Jesus. And they eventually, they do so and they, they talk with Jesus and they say, they ask him to stay for two more days and Jesus does. And many of them start to believe. And the question for me is, but why, (laughs) why do they start believing? What was the thing that drew them in? And, um, you know, for, for years, I've read this story. I've read this story so many times. I've heard many sermons. I'm thirsty today. I've heard um, many sermons on this, uh, this, this passage, and, and I've always held this view that this woman, the Samaritan woman at the well, was an adulterous woman. She had five husbands. Man, she must have lived a promiscuous life. She was just dating around. But if we look at the context, we understand the way the world worked back then. It was a largely um, patri- patriarchal society. It was male-dominated. And I, I tried digging in and finding out about the Samaritan-specific culture. And apparently what's interesting is they actually had women. Uh, it, they have liturgy that describe women in, in prominent um, spaces, of maybe positions of leadership, but still... Their experience of divorce, they had no control over. And so it was common for women to have husbands that died because of war, battles, or disease. Or also, divorce was commonly experienced because according to Samaritan custom, uh, the high priest of their town or the area uh, could actually, um, actually force a divorce. If your husband was traveling uh, and maybe doesn't come back after some time, taking too long to travel, the high priest can force a divorce. And this is the reality, that there's always more to the picture. It's quite possible that she was an adulterous woman, but it's hard for me to see that because I see this story through the lens of America, like the Western world, you know, where we we can... go and file for divorce and shop or you know whatever it is shop that's the word date whatever excuse me but you know what I mean I shop a a ton and but this is a massive difference for me because on one hand I've read this story and I've 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 gone I I, I've always questioned why did these people run back to hang with Jesus because if somebody told me man come meet this guy told me everything I did wrong I would not want to, (laughs) I'm not running over there. I'm not like, man, please spend two days, more more days with me. But if somebody came to me and said, man, I just met this guy. Weird. He was Jewish. He talked to me. And then he told me, he told me about my story and about my pain. You know, he knew that my first husband died, second husband. I don't know how it went, but my second husband left. And then I was forced to marry this other person. And man. He spoke right into my thirst. I think Jesus was on mission to talk about thirst and how he meets that thirst. And I told you guys we're talking about love, and I believe that this story, the Samaritan woman at the well, Jesus, he shows us that love pursues and crosses boundaries. Nothing can stop us from the love of Christ. What can hold us back? Cultural boundaries, differences, weirdness. This story also tells us that Jesus hears our story and knows our story. That love meets us, washes over us like a baptism, no matter what, and every single part of us, no matter what. And this is the kind of love that we get to interact with this well that never ends and leads us into eternal life. So I became a Christian when I was 17, and. Um, ugh, I've been sort of dreading telling the story because I keep getting emotional thinking about it. I don't know why, um, but <sighs> uh, you know, I, I became a Christian. When I was seventeen, and my mother and I went through a really hard season. And we, um, you know, essentially we're homeless. We lived in and out of motels for a year and a half. And through much of this season, um, I mean, I wasn't in school because I was in a different town every month and. And I couldn't stay enroll in school and get going. So I, I spent quite a bit of time just by myself in new towns in new cities as a young teenager. And um, finally my mom, you know, got back, we got back on our feet and we had landed in this town in Orange County, Fullerton. Random, you know, for us. I love Fullerton. Fulas. Um, and uh, I, you know, I started going to school. And during this season, I had no friends because we're just moving around from 16 to 17. And I fell in love with this culture called punk rock. And, I mean, this was like my last remnants of, like, those days, you know. Man, my clothes were all sewn on. I mean, I was just, I call it a culture because I love the bands, but I also love just, I had something about, man, I could be I can't, cause I felt like I wasn't enough. So I can dress however I want. I could put a patch on my clothes, and even if you think it's weird, well, I got some friends that do the same and are j- weird with me. And so, middle, uh, and, and I started going to school, and I, I I managed to start a band. And months we couldn't, for months we couldn't find a drummer. And uh, one day uh, I. <laughs> and my friends were just like me. I mean, my one guy, the bassist had green spikes that stood five feet in the air or five inches in the air, and another friend was just wild, and and we couldn't find a drummer, and one day in the hallways at our high school, I saw this dude walking down, not a punk rocker, and he was flipping his sticks. I can't do the drummer stick. You can tell I'm not a drummer, and he's just going like this, you know, and I walked up to this guy, and I said, hey, you play drums? He's like, yeah, you know, and I was like, oh, man, I'm trying to start a punk band. Would you be interested in playing drums for us? And this guy, his name is Chris. He, <laughs> I'm just, I think this story rocks me because I'm so thankful. <laughs> she, he, um, he says, you know, I'll think about it. And he, and he goes home, and it turns out he, he knew Jesus. <laughs> and he, he, he just went and talked to Jesus, and he said, he said, "You know, Jesus, should I join this band, this crazy band?" And and Jesus said, "Yeah, tell him, tell him about me." And I think the part that gets me is I'm just so thankful for his obedience. But from my perspective, <clears throat> Jesus—I mean, if not she, Chris—Jesus through Chris, Jesus through Chris. <laughs> Chris crossed some boundaries, and because he did so, it changed my whole life. And um, Chris heard my story, and we used to walk to school every day, and he started with, you know, hey, there's a God. And, and, and I said, well, um, no. <laughs> and he's like, well, let me, let me, let's, let's look at, like, science. Let's talk about this stuff. I'm telling you, there's a God. And he was on mission. And he eventually got me. I started to believe that there's a higher being. But then he said, man, this God loves you. And I said, you know, if there's a God and he's real, well, I said, f him, because you you would not be telling me that if you knew my story. And he just never stopped. And um, I think what gets me about this story also is that I think it's a Samaritan woman's story. (laughs) I'm not a crier. This is really weird, (laughs) Candy. I don't know how to like pretend to talk when I'm crying. But, you know, I just see the Samaritan woman, I'm like, man, I just see this person who's got this hard journey. And we have our hardship, all of us. Whatever it is, it's, it may be, like, monetary or what, you know, it could be anything. It could just simply be about our identity. But we go through this journey, and we feel like Jesus, we disqualify ourselves, and we feel like we can't receive his love and we look at a story like this and we're reminded, man, Jesus is willing to send a messenger into a punk rock band to play drums to reach this random kid, you know? And Jesus didn't change my story. Jesus never said, don't cuss at me. Jesus just said, I love you and I'm with you. And that's the promise that we have today, guys. Um, and so wherever you're at, my 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 hope is that you would be drawn into his love even more because... This is just three aspects. The fourth aspect I wanted to share is that love is infectious. And we see this in the story that, you know, all this woman had to do is go, tell, tell, let me tell you guys about this guy who loved me. And these guys came running. And so love is infectious. And that brings us to a conversation about our community. What does it look like, LBCF, for us to be in tune with love in such a way that we are catapulted into moments that are audacious, that build the kingdom around us. What does that look like? And I think that the number, I mean, I've been, I've gone through so many seasons in ministry, seasons that I'm like, man, I'm on fire. I just, I don't care what's going on around me. And seasons i man, I am feel real dull. I, I'm disconnected from the love that I first fell in love with. But I tell you what, the number one catalyst for the weird good stuff that builds the kingdom is getting in tune with his love, and maybe even in new ways, finding new corners. His love is deep and wide, and it's never ending. And there's so many attributes of it. And and so, what else can we hear about his love? And so, if I can invite the van, band up, um, and uh, we're going to start to worship uh, with music together. We've been worshiping this whole time. It's been awesome to talk. Uh, but I want us to. We're going to start off slow, and I want to. I want to invite you guys to listen. And a couple weeks ago, I talked about um, abundance and how abundant living is simply living with God and knowing his voice and and hearing his voice. And the best way I can describe it, if you're not familiar with the voice of God, um, is impressions. I love describing the voice of God as impressions. God makes impressions, and it's not only on our heart or in our mind, but sometimes it's actually in our feeling, in our smelling. In our, all of our senses, God is real. Do you guys know how much God is chasing after you? And this morning I woke up, and just like the day before, I think I forgot. And so, guys, if we can start, um, as we start to worship, I'm going to lead us in a prayer and invite you guys to spend some time listening. Um, often, during uh, moments that I need to be reconnected with his love, I don't know where to start. And so I just start with gratitude, and I encourage you guys to to start with the same. Jesus, thank you for this. Thank you for, you know, I like to say thank you for my daughter because it just catapults me into a good place. And then um, my only other encouragement is is to put yourself, maybe your mind, your position ourselves, in it's posture receiving. And um, whether it's actually physically open your hands or... Um, just telling yourself, receiving new bits and information about his love. And the question is, Jesus, will you make known for me your love? Would you reveal your love to me? This is a never-ending journey. And the scariest place is when we arrive to a place where it's like, I know God's love. Because there's always new parts of his love that we can still capture. So God, will you reveal your love to me? And the final step is simply just to wait for his response. Will you you join me in prayer? Jesus, oh, would you help us to know how wide and deep your love is for us? This God that we see in the scripture that describes you, that crosses boundaries, that has no regard for the walls that we build up for ourselves even. This is who we're talking to and we sit before. And I just want to acknowledge that, Lord, Jesus, Jesus, you are in this room. Your presence is fully here. We feel your presence. If there's anybody here that is not in tune with your, is just not feeling present, maybe there's things going on, God, I pray that you would help us. Lord, I pray that you would give, um, give us the ability, um, allow us to be sensitive. Give us the awareness to, to um, feel and know your presence here. Jesus, we thank you. Lord, thank you for all the things and all the ways that you bless our community, the seasons that you've taken our community through. And I'm just gonna, I'm just saying things that I'm thankful for. And if you can do this with yourself and just between you and God. Um, thank you for um, <laughs> the fact that our church is weird. And we just are down to get weird. Lord, I'm really thankful for those who are in our community that have been here for years and years and years that, that um, have led and, you know, been champions of our community. Lord, thank you for Long Beach. The neighbors that we have. Thank you for the ways that this community, the city of Long Beach, has so many open doors that we can step into to spread your kingdom. It's just as weird. And Lord, as we worship together with music and as we respond, um, I just ask that you would allow us to feel your love in new ways. Would you reveal to us, um, would you speak to us in ways that we need to hear you this morning? Speak to us individually through um, the impressions that you lay on our hearts and our body. Amen.